Tabernacle Presbyterian Church presents Sunday with Tab. Tabernacle Presbyterian Church, located at 34th and Central in Indianapolis, welcomes you to Sunday with Tab. Today, Pastor Terry Thorne delivers the message entitled, The Way of the Holy is Always Love. So join us now from the sanctuary of Tabernacle Presbyterian Church for Sunday with Tab. Our first scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Leviticus, chapter 19. If you'd like to follow along in your pew Bible, that can be found on page 93. We'll be reading verses 1 through 2 and then 15 to 28. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the Israelites and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You shall not render an unjust judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. With justice you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand idly by when the blood of your neighbor is at stake. I am the Lord. You shall not hate in your heart anyone of your kin. You shall not reprove your neighbor, or you will incur guilt yourself. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your animals breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed, nor shall you put on a garment made of two different materials. If a man has sexual relations with a woman who is a slave, designated for another man, but not ransomed or given her freedom, an inquiry shall be held. They shall not be put to death since she has not been freed. But he shall bring a guilt offering for himself to the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting, a ram as guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of guilt offering before the Lord for his sin that he committed, and the sin he committed shall be forgiven him. When you come into the land and plant all kinds of trees for food, then you shall regard their fruit as forbidden. Three years it shall be forbidden to you. It must not be eaten. In the fourth year, all their fruit shall be set apart for the rejoicing of the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat of their fruit, that their yield may be increased for you. I am the Lord your God. You shall not eat anything with its blood. You shall not practice augury or witchcraft. You shall not round off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. You shall not make any gashes in your flesh for the dead or tattoo any marks upon you. I am the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading this morning comes from Matthew's Gospel, but I just have to say that there's a typo in the bulletin, and um, we were only supposed to read 15 through 18, but thank you, Carter, <laughs> because it makes the point of the servant Ema more powerful, I believe. 
So let's hear what Matthew had to say to us today. It's actually a story about Jesus. We're continuing in Matthew's gospel as um, Jesus is ending, moving toward Jerusalem and to the end of his life. When the Pharisees heard that he'd been silenced, that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him to, uh, a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David by the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one was able to give him an answer, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask any more questions. This too is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Oh God, we give you thanks for your word and for the way you use it in our lives to shape us and instruct us. And we pray that at this time, as your word is read and proclaimed and sung, that your spirit would be um, work among us, opening our eyes and our ears to see and hear perhaps what we've not seen or heard before and opening our minds to be instructed in ways perhaps we have not thought before. And most importantly, God, open our lives to be transformed, to be more like Christ in a way that we have not been before. We ask this in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. You shall be holy. For I, the Lord your God, am holy. Quite possibly the most hope-filled statement of Scripture ever recorded, and perhaps the most misunderstood and therefore most damaging as well. Now it's intimidating, to say the least, to preach on the holiness code from Leviticus for several reasons not the least of which is that throughout church history, this particular book of the Bible has been misused in teaching and preaching in such a way as to inflict deep hurt and harm on the children of God. It's also a challenge to talk about holiness without risking that it be interpreted as a demand for purity or a set of rules for behavior, which will then cause some folks to drop their eyes in shame, believing that they could never be holy, not with their life, not with their story. Still, I've come to believe that whatever the reason that we might want to avoid Leviticus or any other scripture passage is also exactly the same reason we need to hear what it has to say to us. 
Now, every Sunday we gather in worship in order to hear the good news of God's love proclaimed, and today is no different. The holiness code in Leviticus is actually very good news for every one of us. It is, at the core, an expression of God's amazing love for all of God's people. You see, God wasn't using Moses to um, issue orders to the Israelites like a parent telling a child, you will do this because I say so or because I'm your parent. Now, it's tricky, unless you can get to the original Greek Greek text to to, um, really see the subtle difference here. But God, I'm sorry, Hebrew text, God is speaking this as a declaration. He declares his people as holy. In other words, he's saying to the Israelites whom Moses had just brought out of slavery in Egypt, you no longer belong to Pharaoh. You no longer live in Egypt, nor do you live like the people of Egypt. You are free of that now. I am your God, only me. You are my people, and I am holy, so therefore, you are holy. Now, keep in mind that the definition of holy here is not that God's people are completely pure or perfect without blemish. We don't have to read very much of the Old Testament to know that the Israelites would soon prove to have plenty of blemishes and impurity. I mean, just think about how many times they complained to and about Moses in the wilderness and how many times they, wanted, they whined about going back to Egypt to be slaves rather than to trust God and to live into the freedom that they were being offered. Yet God never stopped being their God. And you know what? We don't have to look very far beyond ourselves to know that in many ways humanity hasn't really changed much through the generations. We are still tragically still living in our own version of Egypt. The world still measures by performance and accomplishment. We are still held captive to a scarcity and survival mindset that results in a higher level of individualism rather than communal good. We are enslaved to this message of produce, 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 do, 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 often equating perfection as holiness. And because we are never going to fully live up to the world's Pharaoh-like warped standards, we're not only exhausted people, we are people that often carry and experience inner shame that will manifest as harsh judgment on ourselves and on each other. Nonetheless, God does not stop being our God. Through Christ and our baptism, we belong to God. 
We are God's people, and that makes us holy, period. We, the church, are holy, meaning that we are set apart, set apart from the base and the worldly. That's what it means to be holy. You are holy because I, the Lord God, am holy. Those words were originally spoken through Moses to these Hebrew slaves at a specific time and in a specific place. But it is a timeless truth for all of God's people. God's covenant still holds true for any and all who will enter it. God's people are set apart because God chose to set us apart. And our perfection, if you will, is not of our own doing, but it is that because we have been chosen and loved by a perfect God. In other words, we are free, free to live in the perfect love that God offers us rather than needing to live this life perfectly. That truth alone is the good news that many of us need to hear today. God loves us and wants us to live differently, not to earn God's love. We have that. God wants us to live differently because God wants us to experience what the world cannot give us. And that is the freedom and the hope and the joy and the peace that comes when we live in his love. Now, when, when God set the Israelites apart through the work and ministry of Moses and the prophets, he gave them, gave them this Levitical holiness code, some of which Carter read for us, as well as the laws of the Torah as instruction on how to live differently, how to not be slaves to Pharaoh, how to not live as the Egyptians did. These were never meant to be a list of what the ancient Hebrews must do or not do in order to be set apart as holy, nor were they a checklist by which the holiness would be measured. They were instead meant to reveal to God's people who their God was and how to be, how to live as God's people and how not to belong to Pharaoh or any other God. And as a collection, when you read them as a whole, you're going to see that they convey a life lived with radical mercy and compassion and justice and loving kindness. And these laws or these codes, what they did is they were markers or evidence, if you will, that the people living that way live that way because they're chosen and freed for this holiness. And for the Israelites, living that way was not only an act of obedience to God, they saw it as imposing kind of a branding on them, if you will, that declared, we clearly belong to a different holy 
Well, let's face it. Thousands of years later, we do not understand the reasoning behind some of these various codes and laws. We had a heyday in Bible study on Wednesday looking at some of them. Still, we trust, we trust that God intended them for the well-being and the unity and the peace of this newly forming community. And we also believe that in their totality, they reveal the character, the goodness, and the abundance of our holy God. Now, in our 21st century context, we know we are not able to literally apply each individual rule, code, or law of the Torah, nor is it expected or necessary that we do so. We are, however, bound in Christ to seek to live into their intent and their purpose, which Jesus says is summarized, to love God with all our heart, our soul, and mind, and to love others as ourselves. In fact, Jesus implies that these two commandments are inseparable. They are basically one and the same. We cannot love God with our all unless we also love neighbor as ourselves. The love is intrinsically intertwined. One scholar put it this way, the worship of God cannot be holy if the people's interactions with each other and the whole world are not holy. Now, last year, you may recall that we spent several weeks going through, delving into the Sermon on the Mount, verse by verse, a sermon in which Jesus instructs his followers how life in God's realm is set apart, is holy, is different. And he was calling them, calling those initial disciples, uh, disciples and Christ followers to a different level of holiness. He was giving them a new identity marker that they were to live beyond the letter of the law and into the deeper intent of the law, which is love. Now, the church today is called to that same holiness identifier. We are called to live in a manner that Jesus taught and modeled, not in an effort to be loved, but because we are confident that we are loved by God and we want others to experience the same. So this holiness code from Leviticus the laws in Deuteronomy, Jesus' teachings, his parables, his sermon, his life, his ministry, even Paul's letters of instruction to the churches all serve the same intent and purpose to reveal the character of God and to demonstrate what it means to be God's holy, chosen, freed people.
They remind us that we, the church, we, the church, are a set-apart community whose collective well-being, whose unity, and whose peace must be rooted in holy love. In other words, we could keep every single one of these rules perfectly, but if we don't have love in keeping them, we have failed. Our well-being, our unity, and our peace is rooted in God's holy love, God's love for us, our love for God, and our love for one another, as well as ourselves. And just as the scriptures uh, throughout the Old Testament would reveal to us that the Israelites were constantly being shaped into their holiness, it's safe to say that so are we even now. We are holy, and yet we become more deeply so every time we choose, albeit imperfectly, to live in the law of love again and anew. This, too, is good news for God's people. Now, on this All Saints Day, we've had the opportunity to remember and honor those saints in our church family whose baptism is now complete and who rest eternally with God in the company of the saints that have gone before us. And seeing the names and the faces in the video this morning bring up emotion for us, they remind us, too, that on this side of heaven, we are all simultaneously saint and sinner. Because as much as those beautiful souls were loved by us and are loved by us, we all know that they were not perfect, they were not flawless, until the day that they went to be with God eternally a day which will eventually come for all of God's people. But until then, our willingness, our willingness to seek forgiveness, our willingness to learn from our mistakes so that we might be able to love others and ourselves in a more Christ-like way might just be one of the best possible instructions possible expressions of our love for God. Our willingness to be transformed is an expression of our love for God. And this was recently the case for one of our Open Door volunteers who graciously gave me permission to share about an exchange she had with one of our neighbors which I'd like to share with you today. Now, for those who are not aware, we don't offer to-go meals at the Open Door Cafe unless there is a extenuating circumstance. Now, our thinking on that is um, that a to-go meal is a transaction. It's transactional in, na in nature. Here's your food, there you go. But we want people to dine in. 
so that there's an opportunity for meaningful interactions so that we can develop trust and offer hope to one another. So a couple of weeks ago, this volunteer was approached by a neighbor who was requesting a to-go meal and indicated he was in a hurry. And the volunteer, sensing the urgency, attempted to do a kind and loving thing by making an exception to the rule. And our volunteers have permission to do that. In the process, she casually said to the neighbor, oh, of course, I see you're in a hurry. Are you needing to catch your bus? The neighbor, clearly hurt, calmly responded to the volunteer, what makes you think I need to ride a bus? Suddenly and painfully, the volunteer realized the prejudice in her assumption about the neighbor. And she immediately apologized to him and is definitely committed to doing better. Now, folks, we can clearly see that this saintly volunteer was seeking to love her neighbor as herself, even being willing to be flexible on the to-go rule in order to make the situation better for him. But her sinner side, which we all have, allowed her prejudice to emerge in a way that offended and hurt the neighbor. Now, not intentionally, definitely not intentionally. If you knew this volunteer, you would know she would never intentionally hurt someone. But that was the result for her neighbor. Now, some of us might think, oh, that neighbor was kind of being a little too sensitive. But was he really? I mean, truth is truth, even when it hurts, even if it's uncomfortable to hear. So the law of love invites us to see this entire exchange in a different light. First, what if by asking the question, what makes you think I need to ride a bus, the neighbor has actually chosen to love himself and the volunteer? Perhaps he has recognized that the intention of the volunteer was good, but the hurt caused to him was also real. So he chose to not internalize it, not let it fester in such a way that it could create animosity or tension between him and the volunteer or between him and the open door ministry. Honestly, folks, this, in, this could be a living out of verse 17 in today's reading you shall, it's the only shall in there, you shall reprove, reprove your neighbor or you will incur guilt yourself. Perhaps the neighbor was living that out. And I want, to, I want you to think of it in yet another possibility which the volunteer has personally affirmed to me as true. Another way the law of love was at work in this exchange is that as a result of this man's willingness to speak up, 
the neighbor, the, um, the, his willingness to express his hurt, whether the hurt was caused intentionally or not, it helped this volunteer to become more aware of her own implicit bias so that she might learn to be more loving and more saintly in the future. The volunteer demonstrated her holiness, her set-apartness, by attempting to love her neighbor, even if imperfectly, in a way that the world does not. And the neighbor revealed his holiness by imperfectly loving right back with a non-threatening teaching moment of truth. It seems clear to me that God was at work in this exchange using two saints to deepen relationship and foster a stronger community. In fact, by even allowing this story to be shared, the volunteer is again demonstrating her desire to live in holy love. Whereas many folks would be embarrassed or ashamed to acknowledge that they carried that prejudice which emerged, this volunteer is willing to be vulnerable to us and to the neighbor for the sake of growing in her personal faith and discipleship, as well as for the wider community, our learning, our unity, our well-being, and ultimately our peace. So I ask you, what better way can there be for us to show our love for God than to, with childlike vulnerability, admit and learn from our mistakes so that we can live and love differently and more holy, more Christ-like next time. What better, greater way can we convey our love to the potter than our willingness to be his clay. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Friend, God's holy, unconditional love, which we know through Christ Jesus, has made us holy. And every time we choose to love ourselves, we honor the holiness that God has given us and every time we choose to love our neighbor, we love God and we reveal the holiness that God has given us. When we're compassionate and kind, when we're merciful and gracious and forgiving, when we demand and uphold justice and truth, when we seek reconciliation with one another, when we choose to be instruments of peace, within ourselves, toward each other, and out in the world. Every single time we choose to love others in a way that the world does not, 
Others will come to see God's holiness, not just as it's revealed in the church, but because they will come to see it within and about themselves. Every time we choose to love all of God's creation in a way that the world does not, we are obediently loving God. And on this truth, all the law and the prophets hang. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we do give you thanks that you are holy and that you, through your love, make us holy without any effort on our part. And in that light of holiness, in that light of your love, we pray that your spirit would give us the courage, the confidence, the wisdom, and the desire to live the law of love imperfectly as we do, and yet to seek to keep doing it better and better so that we would become more like Christ, more like you. You're listening to Sunday with Tab, a production of Tabernacle Presbyterian Church in Indianapolis. We hope you have found inspiration and comfort in today's program. There are many ways to enjoy today's message again. Subscribe to the Tab podcast on your favorite podcast app or go to tabpres.org, tap on the graphic marked sermons, and select the sermon you wish to hear. While there, you can also view the entire worship service. We invite you to join us for worship this morning at Tabernacle Presbyterian Church. We're located at the corner of 34th Street and Central Avenue in Indianapolis. At 8 a.m., we have a communion service in the chapel. And at 10 o'clock, a beautiful worship service in the sanctuary. The 10 o'clock service is also live streamed on our YouTube channel, Tab Indie. For all information on the services and streaming, go to tabpres.org. That's T-A-B-P-R-E-S dot O-R-G. Thanks for listening, and join us next week at the same time for Sunday with Tab. Sunday with Tab.